That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show Is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, JDK Winnekin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of This Show is All About You. Thank you for taking time out of your day to enjoy me. Uh, join me, I should say, for the next hour. Hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, when we talk about some things that really do matter and hopefully get under uh, some of the common narratives that we have about various things. And today's subject in particular, I think, is really important uh, to get to get deep into. I'm very excited to have a, a guest in studio who I will uh, introduce in just a minute. But I want to thank you, first of all, for being here. If you're listening live uh, welcome and good afternoon. If you're listening as a podcast, thank you so much for doing so, for subscribing and leave me a review. I appreciate it. If you want to know more about me, you can look me up at my website, wordsbyjdk.com. You can find more about me, episodes of this show, original writing, that type of thing. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look up my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N, and you'll find me rather easily. I'd like to thank this show's sponsor, Airway Science for Kids. You can check them out at airside.org. And Airway Science for Kids provides life and career pathway opportunities for underserved youth in aerospace, and they do amazing work. And you'll be hearing more about them during the upcoming breaks. So uh, lots to talk about today, and I want to get right to it. So as we always do, let's uh, let's kick off by taking a look at the news. There's one thing we're going to be focusing on today, one thing we're going to be talking about today in the segment known as What in the World is Going On? In recent days, we've seen the Ukrainians blow up Russian ammo depots near Kherson. It's suspected that they're using advanced long-range rocket systems supplied by the United States to strike those targets. Today, the Pentagon announcing it's sending to Ukraine even more of the HIMARS rocket systems, as they call them. Ukrainian officials say those weapons have been a real game-changer and sent the Russians into what they call panic mode. All right, and of course, as listeners of this show know um, and probably aren't surprised, Ukraine is what I want to talk about first uh, and foremost. And it's going to stay that way for a while because we are entering now, of course, beyond five months into the Russian invasion of that sovereign nation. And uh, honestly, with all the other things going on in the world and in this country, attention on it is starting to wane a bit. And so I'm doing my small part to uh, try and keep it (laughs) front and center in people's minds. And what is happening there, of course, is that Uh, increasingly uh, U.S. and Western military aid is starting to make more of a difference in eastern Ukraine, and Ukrainians have begun an attempt to retake the city of Kherson in the south of the country. They're continuing to hold a defense of Odessa, the all-important city on the coast of the Black Sea, and uh, certainly the longer that Ukraine is able to fight back and to prevent Russian advances, the more time it gives for Russia to get weaker and weaker and weaker and run through um, their resources as much as much as possible. And so it is something that is going to take time. No one who really looks at the situation really sees one side or the other on the verge of victory, uh, which means that the suffering is going to continue 
uh, for everyone uh, involved in all of this, but particularly for the Ukrainian people. And, of course, the ripple effects, as I talked about last week, to the rest of the world are very profound. Uh, Earlier today, as a matter of fact, uh, there was an agreement reached between Ukraine and Russia to start uh, allowing grain shipments to leave from Ukrainian ports to get back out into the global market to prevent the global food crisis that I was warning about just a couple of weeks ago. So that deal is in place. Hopefully it holds. Uh, There's reasons always to be skeptical. It seems to me that the Russians will uphold their side of things. However, uh, a deal is better than no deal. Uh, And certainly the start of that will be good for everyone uh, in Ukraine as well as uh, the people who depend on Ukrainian production to feed themselves. So in that sense, more shall be revealed, of course. But that is the only clip that I'm going to play today because... My guest in studio is directly connected to the very thing that I just mentioned, uh, the war in Ukraine, in particular, uh, the efforts to help people who are being directly affected by it, in particular, Ukrainian refugees, of which there are sadly more and more every single day. Uh, And so I would like to introduce at this point uh, my in-studio guest, Tanya Zyka, uh, who is here on behalf of the Ukrainian Association of Washington State, an organization here in the Pacific Northwest that is uh, directly involved in uh, helping all Ukrainians who have been affected by the Russian invasion. And that really is all Ukrainians. Uh, And Tanya's got a very profound connection to this because she herself is Ukrainian and uh, born and raised in Kyiv, the capital, correct, Tanya? Yes, hello. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much for being here. Really happy to have you. Uh, So thanks for being willing to come on and talk about your experience and what your organization is doing. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. Uh, so, Tanya, let's just jump into this really quickly, if you wouldn't mind, uh, you know, you being from there, there are many people in the United States, I'm sure, you've lived here a long time now, mm-hmm. of course, but there are many people in the United States who, when the war broke out, many probably didn't know where Ukraine was. Uh, and so can you can you help listeners with who you are, give you a little bit of your backstory, and anything you'd like them to know about your country before we move forward? Yeah. Well, I think Ukraine was put on the map for... American, most of the Americans in 2014 <laughs> uh-huh. when the Russia first attacked Ukraine and annexed Crimea. Yeah. And that was a big deal and Ukraine was in the news. Um, I moved here when um, when I was 14 years old, early 90s. Uh-huh. And back then, Americans didn't know where Ukraine was. Right. So uh, when people asked where I was from, I would just to bypass all the explanation. I would just say I'm Russian. Ah. So I would say I'm from Russia. Um, but then when um, when the uh, first attacks of uh, Russian Federation onto Ukraine in 2014, I wanted to make sure that I, I say that I'm Ukrainian. So the identity was, uh, my personal identity was Ukraine for the Americans happened then. Mm-hmm. Although um, growing up in Ukraine, you know, I developed my love, love for my country, for the culture. So sure. Uh, I'm sure. very much Ukrainian. Okay. Okay. Well, and you know, it's it's something that when the when the war first started a few months ago, on the show, I just kind of did some some background information for listeners on you know the the history of the two countries, and of course, the era you grew up in when you were there, Ukraine was part of the old Soviet Union, right, yes. which dominated by Russia, of yes. course, at the time. So, yeah. okay. So, so then let's so in twenty fourteen, this became this became something that you started to pay close attention to. Now, you, you moved here in 93. Yes. How w- Did you maintain your connections to Ukraine when you moved here? Yes. Okay. Yes. So my my father remained in Ukraine. He did not immigrate with us. So my mm-hmm. mom, and uh, she took me and my sister 
And she said, kids, we're moving to America in pursuit of happiness. <laughs> so, um, so we did. And that's mm -hmm. the time, early 90s, is when the Soviet Union fell apart and there was a lot of opportunity to start your own business, mm -hmm. to make money. And my father decided to take that opportunity and stayed back home. To um, he wanted to grow his book business. He had okay. a very long uh, love for reading, history, and books, mm -hmm. and this was the opportunity to make money on anything that you want to. Because we're we're moving from communist economy, mm -hmm. from controlled socialist economy to free market economy, mm -hmm. and back then there was nothing like consumer goods did not exist. Sure. You need to know people who knew where to buy sugar, mm -hmm. and you needed to know. As, as connections to buy shoes, mm -hmm. you know? So uh, when the Soviet Union fell, falls apart, there's opportunity to um, bring in goods from overseas, from other countries, and make millions. Yeah. Everything was up for grabs. Mm -hmm. So my dad, uh, was his love for books, he decided to start a book company. And uh, actually in the, um, I think, 1991, 92, I helped him uh grow his business i was 13 or 14 wow. yes so, early business education yes yeah yes so he would go to odessa get um like uh totes he mm -hmm. was hauling them in totes mm -hmm. uh, in bags bags of book, books bring them to kiev i'm from mm -hmm. kiev okay and he would put me in the market to sell books while he goes out and networks wow. and then those bags of books would grow into um um containers and eventually in uh he would uh, uh, move them by uh, train so mm -hmm. a car a, a train car so the volumes grew and grew and grew okay. but uh long story short uh he decided to stay in ukraine to um to grow his business and then financially support us here in united states okay. and eventually um he decided not to come to united states so he stayed there and i think i i inherited my love for ukraine from him okay and uh, he was very, very patriotic. Mm -hmm. And when the first revolution, the Orange Revolution yes. helped, mm -hmm. oh, happened, he was out there uh, feeding the protesters. Oh, he wow. Was bringing sandwiches and tea and wow. all of that. So okay. I think I have his free spirit. Okay. Uh, that's very typical for okay, well, and, people. And looking back when you moved here, were you excited to move here? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I had my first love in Ukraine. Uh, I was uh, at the ripe age of 13. Mm. So I had had big plans for him. I don't know if he knew about it, uh, <laughs> but uh, not really. Okay. No. And things were turning for, for the better. There were promising times, yeah. you mm -hmm. know? So I didn't really want to come here. Okay. I'm, I'm definitely happy that I'm here. Okay. I'm 100% I'm happy that I'm here. Yeah. Um, America provides very big opportunities mm -hmm. and just, you know. I'm, did, it, I'm, I'm, did it take you a little while to get used to it? Did it take you a little while to like being here or was it, did, did you like it pretty quickly? I think I liked it pretty quickly. Uh, plus I came here when I was young enough where that trans uh, uh, adjusting period mm. was very easy. Plus, I had the privilege of going back home every year for the whole summer. Oh, wow. So uh, my dad, of course, he lived there. So we would just, for the entire summer, we would just, me and my sister would go back. So we enjoyed the best of both countries. Sure, yeah. sure. So you stayed really closely yeah. connected to it. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, so then you grew up here after that point, lived here, and your father's there. 
And of course, the the relationship. A lot of people don't, in this country don't know the the history between Ukraine and Russia, but it's it's been uncertain to to put it mildly since the end of the Soviet Union. With always the question of to what degree will the countries of the former Soviet Union still stay close to Russia, or will they move closer to Europe? Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, they've wanted to move more closely to Europe, and that's been part of the part of the problem here. Okay, so so with all that, let's fast forward then. Um, so you mentioned 2014, the initial Russian invasions into Crimea mm-hmm. and elsewhere. Is that where you got started with this uh, this work that you're doing with the uh, with the association, or what was your reaction to that when that happened? Were you surprised that Russia did this? Were you upset? Were you angry? Uh, definitely angry. Definitely upset. Um, it was. It just. It was shocking to me that at this age, time, and age. Um, countries still do that to each mm. other. You know, if Russia just came and took took our land. Mm-hmm. Like, who does that? Mm-hmm. You know, I thought we were past that. Yeah. So they too, um, they um, had their own people in Donbass region. Yeah. And then they annexed um, Crimea altogether. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, to me, it felt like, and 2014 is when Ukraine was going through its um, changing times in the revolution because what sparked that is, as you mentioned, um, countries were looking uh, west towards Europe. But at that time, our president, mm-hmm. who promised to look west, but secretly he had agreements with Putin going yes. on. And when people of Ukraine found out about that, uh, it sparked um, you know, uprising and uh, a revolution of 2014. Mm-hmm. So they overthrew the president who did not represent the people mm-hmm. because people wanted to join Europe. Right. So and at that time, you know, was unrest in Ukraine at um, at this period of difficulty. Russia comes and takes our our land. Mm-hmm. It's like you. To me, it's similar as if somebody fell and is weak on the ground. And trying to regain its strength, and you come and take their wallet yeah. while they're down. You yeah. know, like mm-hmm. you, you just don't do that. Right. Yeah. Right. So at that time, um, it was my first, um, you know, kind of uh, feeling of unfairness and mm-hmm. um, of things like two countries don't do it to, to each other. Yeah. So, um, but it kind of settled. A little bit, you mm-hmm. know, it left an uh, aftertaste, but it, it settled because the war in Donbass was um, was happening. But it was sort of a mix of, I want to say, Cold War, but it's it was actual 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 war with mm-hmm. uh, bombs. And yeah, there were fighting. There was fighting yes, going on. Yes, yeah. Yeah. but it subsided through through the times uh, mm-hmm. through the years and um, at the end you know cash, uh, civilian casualties were close to zero you right. know it, so it took eight years right mm-hmm. up to today 2022 right. so um, I was not really following at the end um, and it was definitely not in United States media it, it was not it, um, it did not had a lot of attention at the end yeah and then when this, happened in February 24th of 2022 this was a, just a new wave of uh, full full blown war and to me it was just out well to most of the world it yeah. was just outrageous events yeah yeah and and as i mentioned at the top of the show uh, the outrage has a shelf life it seems like mm-hmm. 
you know, people get used to these things after a while, sadly. And, uh, and so it, it's, it's, it's becoming more and more difficult for seemingly for countries to follow through on what they say they're going to do, right? Or the enthusiasm or the solidarity yeah. with the Ukrainian cause. Uh, there's always concerns about that, right? And of course, uh, President Zelensky spends probably most of his hours during the day when he's not overseeing the fighting, talking to the United States, talking to the European powers, asking them for more help yeah. to follow through on those things. So uh, so certainly, and I can tell just from talking to you, the, the urgency you feel around this. It's got to be quite a complicated mix of emotions on a daily basis for you because this is personal and you know people who are under attack every day, yeah. right? Well, one of my uh, friends, we became friends through the war. Mm-hmm. We met each other. We actually have not met each other in person. Oh, wow. But we connected um, through helping people. Okay. So she is, she lives near Odessa. Okay. And we have dozens and dozens projects of that we completed so far. And she keeps giving me new ideas of who <laughs> needs what. <laughs> so she keeps me on my toes. But I, I talk to her all day long. And um, right now she's going to bed. Yeah. 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 And almost every day she she texts me, oh, we have another attack. We have uh, we have to go into shelter. We have to go into shelter. Mm-hmm. Like most nights she does not sleep through. So um, it's um, even though media doesn't cover it anymore as much, it's old news. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of Aristovich? Do you know? I have. Okay. So uh, he's one of my favorite uh, Ukrainians. Ah. So he made a very, um, very interesting remark, which is very true. He said, if during four or five months, aliens would land on Earth mm-hmm. every single day, on month three or four, it will not be as exciting news anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. so this is what's happening with coverage of Ukrainian war. Yeah. And I feel that um, to most people, it feels like maybe things are better. Maybe humanitarian situation is better, mm-hmm. but it's by by no means is better. It's actually getting worse because getting worse, it, yeah. you know, with every day there's more and more casualties. Right. Because right. you still every single day you have civilian objects being bombed, homes being bombed, apart- mm-hmm. apartment bu- buildings being shelled, um, yeah. uh, shopping malls, schools, hospitals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's direct, and this is di- and this is direct policy. Yes. This this isn't by accident, right? Yes. No matter how much the Russians say that that, that these aren't happening, they mm-hmm. are happening. It and it's deliberate. And I mentioned last week the deliberate targeting of the Russian military of wheat fields yes. in Ukraine to burn them and destroy them. Yes. So, yeah, so there's a lot. And uh, I love that you're doing your part to keep awareness of the refugee crisis going. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll start diving into that part. Okay. okay. So uh, stick around, everybody out there, for uh, more. This show is all about you. You're right back. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, 
Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace for all. Don't ask me to talk. Don't Ask Me to Talk is a program about sharing something good. Hosted by me, Stacey Heller, with my co-host and my mom's favorite, Eric Ryder, Don't Ask Me to Talk echoes what we're talking about when we aren't being so serious. We'll highlight what's good to watch, read, see, listen to, and more with a reoccurring spot with Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen called What Are We Eating? Tune in Thursdays from 3 to 4 on AM 880 KIXI. Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you here with my guest, uh, Tanya Zaika from the Ukrainian Association of Washington State. We're talking about the war in Ukraine uh, and sadly, the ever worsening refugee crisis. And Tanya is a part of uh, this organization here in Washington State, but part of a larger national international network looking to uh, help Ukrainians of all kinds who are suffering because of the Russian invasion. And uh, we spent the last segment talking a little bit about Tanya's background and about the war itself and uh, one thing that I have stressed on this show is, is every time I play clips in the news at the front end, uh, I really try to get Ukrainian voices in there so people can hear that these are real people sometimes. You know, talk about the media coverage. Sometimes it seems it's really big and it's really political and there's all those big questions. And that's important. But in the end, the people that are affected the most and the people that you're focusing on are these everyday people where this is really life and death for them. So I'm going to play this short clip from a news, uh, from a news recent news report that has some of that in there. And then we'll just use that as a jumping off point to talk about what you're doing. So let's go ahead and listen to this. Russian forces now control most of the Kherson region. The villagers we spoke to claim Russian soldiers no longer allow cars to leave. My wife said, well, they will shoot you anyway, so let's get out of here. Vladimir and his wife decided to bike. They pedaled across uneven terrain until they finally reached a town controlled by Ukrainian forces, Zelenodolsk. I'm just happy that I stayed alive. Thousands of people reportedly fled her son the same way. Most leave their bikes and try to move far away from the front lines. There are hundreds of bikes in a shed here. One of many stories, right, of people trying to escape. And I know, Tanya, you spend every day hearing various stories about people's escape from wherever it may happen to be. In this case, we're talking about Kherson, but it could be from just about anywhere in the areas where the war has uh, been fought and people have fled. Uh, what comes up for you when you hear that, uh, when you hear that clip? Um, two things. First of all, while I was waiting for uh, to meet with you mm-hmm. uh, about 15 minutes ago, 30 minutes ago, I randomly stumbled across a family uh, looking for a place to stay and they're from Kherson. Oh. And... Uh, the family that I found uh, an apartment for. Oh, wow. I, I was just scrolling through Facebook and I saw this ad, uh, this post that this family is looking for a place to stay and they're from Kherson. They're actually going back to, uh, they decided to go back to Ukraine. Oh, they did? I know nothing about them. I, as I said, I only know them 30 minutes ago. So they're um, looking for just a, a, a week 
okay. uh, of um, time to stay here until they get their tickets to go back home. They're, of course, they cannot go back to Kherson. They're going back to Kiev. Okay. Kiev is semi, uh, somewhat safer. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know why um, they decided not to stay here. But um, so Kherson um, just brought that um, recent uh, occurrence in my life. Wow. Um, and they have the best watermelons and uh, tomatoes. Kherson does. So once Ukraine regains the territory, um, yes. Wow. Yeah, we can have our watermelons back. <laughs> yes. Um, as I, on a serious note, when I uh, was listening to, um, to that clip, so uh, a friend of mine lost a sister and a nephew. Uh, I'm sorry, niece. Sister and niece when they were trying to escape Bucha. Okay. So Bucha is a, a suburb of Kiev, yeah. and that was occupied by Russians uh, in March. Mm-hmm. And when uh, Russians retreated, you you all heard about the atrocities that yeah they yeah the series of war crimes committed in that suburb. Yes. The number of people shot. So people were uh, just being shot in their cars trying to escape. So um, my friend's sister and niece, um, that was um, how they died, mm-hmm. and. Um, they were left in their car for a month. Their bodies were left there for a month. So the bodies were re- uh, recovered and buried um, a month later mm. after the Russians retreated. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's awful. And um, uh, the occupied territories, you probably heard of the filtration camps. Yes. So um, when the Russians occupy uh, towns, um, they do not let Ukrainians to Ukrainian side. Mm-hmm. They have to go to Russia. Yeah. Uh, uh, or they either have to stay or if they want to leave the territory, they have to go to Russia mm-hmm. and um, they have to go through uh, filtration camps. Yeah. And I, I can't believe we're talking about filtration camps in 2022. Yeah, it's, uh, and sadly, just for some historical context for listeners, this is something that, that Russia has done as a matter of course for a very long time, t- taking political enemies, however they define them, and physically taking them from where they live and shipping them, in some cases, thousands of miles east and being dropped off in the middle of nowhere, in some cases, with, with absolutely no supplies, nothing. Once upon a time, it was part of the old, uh, the old gulag system, right, the prison camp system under Stalin and, and the, the communists. But they're doing it again. And it's a very secretive process. They're not talking about it very much. And there's literally hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians who have just disappeared. Yes, um, uh, and including children. So yeah. that's a very, very painful subject because uh, once you go into a filtration camp, um, usually uh, men go separately and women go separately. Yeah. And men are being uh, inspected for um, anything that would indicate they're pro-Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. If they're deemed safe, uh, and somewhat uh, like maybe pro-Russian, mm-hmm. then they can go into Russia and, and uh, survive. But uh, pro-Ukrainian men, they either have to, uh, I, I, I don't want to speculate, but I, I think um, they some of them died sure. or um, some they keep some of them to work um, clear, clearing the ruins of mm-hmm. towns uh, yeah. for manual labor. Um, very, very painful subject is children. So I know that, uh, well, in general, in the time of war, children that are lost, misplaced, without parents, possibly orphaned, they're not available for adoption. Mm-hmm. So it's a um, um, rule of civil countries uh, during the time of war, um, children who do not have parents, they're being taken care of 
within the country. Mm-hmm. For example, in Ukraine, orphan children uh, st- need to stay within Ukraine. And after the war is over, there needs to be a chance for them to find distant relatives right. so that they have a chance to reunite. Maybe if their parents are dead, maybe it was grandparents, un- uncles, cousins. Mm-hmm. And what's happening right now um they're taking uh, our children from occupied territories, and if they're orphaned or lost, they are um, deporting them to Russia. And they have a law in Russia that makes the adoption process very quick and easy. So those children are being adopted into Russian families, and those children will never find their way back home. Oof. Man, it's it underscores to me that, and this is something that sometimes the media doesn't always pick up on, that this isn't just an effort on Russia's behalf to conquer a country. More and more, it looks like they're trying to erase the country. Uh, I, I, I do agree with that. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a, a war against Ukrainian as, as people, as a nation, mm-hmm. against our culture, against our language, against, uh, and because they're targeting our children. Children are our DNA. That's our future. So if, if you want to destroy a nation, if you want to destroy uh, people, you you target um, their history yeah. and their children. Yeah, yeah, and they're, and they're certainly targeting the history as well, right? There's reports out of the occupying zone that they're banning, in some cases, Ukrainian books, Ukrainian yes. language. Schools are being reopened, and everything is in Russian. Yes. Uh, yeah, and this is and this is something again uh, for historical perspective. Russia has tried to do before mm-hmm. uh, the the so-called Holodomor, which was uh, some have called the Ukrainian Holocaust in the late 1920s, early 1930s, where Soviet officials, uh, directed by Stalin, deliberately starved out the Ukrainian people to destroy Ukrainian nationalism and killed millions, right? And you mentioned that you had family members that you lost in that once upon a time. Yes, thank you for um, talking about that. Um, That's one of my very sensitive subjects, but I I like to talk about it. Sure. Um, So you're right. Um, So when the Soviet Union was being formed, so basically uh, Russia was... Soviet Union is an empire, right? Yeah, yeah, it was, it's yeah. just another word for empire. So, Russian Russia was conquering territories, including Ukraine, and Ukraine was not very excited to be part of the empire. So, mm-hmm. and Ukrainian people, being very freedom loving and somewhat rebellious, um, they <laughs> did not, um, they, they just didn't want to be in a, go through collectivization. Collectivization is when they take any sort of. Uh, private property and make it a government property. So uh, farms were taken away and, and they were becoming um, cl- um, government farms. Mm-hmm. And um, Ukrainian people are very hardworking people. So um, for example, my um, my great-grandpa, he was uh, a well-off farmer. And um, any well-off farmers during Soviet Union were considered um, undesirables. Yeah. So, um, uh, everything was taken away from them. All the property was taken away from them. So for my grandma was telling me stories. She remembers when uh, uh, communists um, came into her home and took ev- everything. And by everything, I mean everything. They took the roof yeah. of the house. Mm-hmm. And because he was a better off um, financially, uh, the roof was made of metal. A typical roof in 1930s was made of straw, mm-hmm. and their roof was made of metal. So they took metal. And she was telling me that they left salt and matches. And she was five at the time. And she remembers um, 
her father was dead. And I, I, I can't tell if um, at that time he starved to death mm-hmm. or if they killed him. Okay. But uh, she, she remembers that he was dead but on the floor. But she doesn't... Um, she didn't realize that he was dead being a child, and she was uh, playing with those matches, a uh, little box of matches, and she spilled the matches on his chest. Wow. That, those are little glimpses of her memory that she was telling me. Sure. And um, so she was five at the time, and her little brother was three, and her older sister was seven, and they all starved to death. Mm. So uh, baby brother and sister starved to death, and only her mom and herself who survived. And... She uh, she was telling me stories of um, she would crawl into a field of just weeds and she'll pick on uh, roots mm-hmm. and suck on those roots yeah. for some sort of nourishment and she'll pass pass out and then regains her consciousness and just move around and she she remembers that she, um, apparently when you're going through starvation severe starvation your body um, 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 blows up. Yeah, you know the, it blows. When, mm-hmm. Yes, it blows. Yes, so that's uh, she remembers that. So when she was telling me all those stories, and whenever we didn't want to finish our meal or oh. clean the plate, she yeah. would start telling us those stories, and she'll cry. And uh, to this day, I I always clean my plate, and it. I don't like when my kids don't clean their plates. Right. Yes. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, and it's it was a deliberate policy by uh, Stalin and the communists to starve out the people of Ukraine. So there was plenty of food there. Yes. There was plenty. Just they were being denied that. And, uh, you know, and it's, no one knows exactly how many millions died. That's always debated. Uh, But it was a significant portion of the of age population that could keep a country alive, right? People, you know, young adults, children uh, were deliberately targeted. And so to me, when the war started, it didn't surprise me at all on one level that Ukrainian resistance was so fierce Mm -hmm. because the whole Demore is such an important part of Ukrainian history and identity and understanding with their relationship with Russia. And so it, it runs deep. And that's that's one of the things I appreciate you telling the story because I think sometimes that's something that gets missed in all of this, that this it's, it's not just a story of a sovereign nation, Ukraine, being attacked by another one. It's a sovereign nation that has a very, very difficult history with the country that's invading them again. Yes, again. Again. Again is the word. Yeah. So um, so this this runs deep. And so I appreciate you stepping into that. Now, with that in mind, this new war and all of this, with that whole context going on, there are we've seen in the media the, the pictures of families coming across the border into Poland and into Hungary and elsewhere. Uh, and certainly there are countries that are are working hard in Europe to take in Ukrainian refugees. Germany is is trying to lead the way and other nations, certainly Poland is heavily involved in that. The United States is is finally a part of that conversation. Tell us a little bit to start about the work that you're doing and that the Ukrainian Association of Washington State is doing. What what types of things are you working on? You mentioned one just off Facebook, right? You just managed to do that, right? Sounds like there's kind of a growing network of awareness or or outlets for people to reach out for help. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? So um, we work in many channels, many different directions. Uh, Most of our work is focused on people who are still in Ukraine. Okay. So because we feel, of course, you know, refugees who are outside of Ukraine, they're not, um, um, they're going, they're definitely going through difficult times, but at least they're safe. Mm. And um, 
those refugees who came to America and to Washington State particularly, uh, there is a lot of resources and people are very open and with open arms and open hearts who are trying to help. So um, it's definitely um, uh, an adjustment and difficult situation for, for the refugees who come here, but at least they're safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so our main focus is on people who are still in Ukraine. Um, and um, so our association, we work on big projects. Okay. And my, uh, my personal projects are very um, direct, small, and um, I'm, I'm happy to share a few. Yes, I'd love that. Yes. So um, I'll start with my projects. Okay. And by my projects, what I mean by them is, um, so there's two people in Ukraine that I work with. My, I call them vol- my volunteers, but uh, with time they became my friends. Mm-hmm. So they're my boots on the ground. They know what's happening. They know what's needed. So uh, one family in, um, in Kiev, and the way um, I met them, is I saw their post at, at, on Facebook um, at the beginning of the war. They were making uh, dumplings mm. by hand. A, a family, you know, a father, a mother, and two children. They're in the kitchen making dumplings and taking hot meals to the soldiers protecting Kiev. Okay. So that's where it started. And, wow. and they asked for money to, uh, for flour and eggs and, you know, uh, meat to keep feeding the soldiers. So I reached out to them and one thing led to another and um, they are um, now uh, taking uh, buses, uh, uh, trucks of food to um, to uh, suburbs of Kiev that were destroyed by Russians okay. um, in March okay. when uh, Russians were um, next to Kiev. Okay. So there's several towns uh, similar to Bucha. Bucha is one of the towns that just got a lot of exposure. Sure. But these uh, atrocities were helping. There's thousands of Buchas. Yeah, President you know? Zelensky made sure to point that out. Yes. That Bucha was just one example yes. of many. Yes. So um, actually, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. My uh, cousin is from Bucha. Mm. And by coincidence, he's a, he is a world traveler. He is uh, a few years younger than me. When the war started, he was in uh, Argentina. Okay. And instead of staying out of Ukraine, he was making his way, way back into Ukraine. So he got into Ukraine on March 3rd. Mm-hmm. Um, just over a week after the war started, and he went to enlist in uh, Ukrainian army, and so many people wanted to enlist yeah. that they told him, like, take your place in line. Yeah, we <laughs> yes. got enough. Yes, we got in line. That's crazy yes. sounding, yes. isn't it? But yes. yeah, it was so overwhelming. So he, um, and just like me, he couldn't just uh, do nothing, so he started volunteering. Mm-hmm. So what saved his life is that he was not at home at the time when Russians occupied Bucha, because yeah. you've heard what they did to the men right. wow. in, in Bucha, yeah. So that, as if he would have been home. Yes. Yeah, I, he I, would have I, been I, among the dead. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, uh, back to my volunteers near Kiev. Uh, so they're taking um, food uh, in, in small trucks and small buses and um, feeding people of um, this town called Baradyanka. So similar to Bucha, it's completely destroyed. People are living in tents. Um, um, little um, makeshift little homes. I'm not quite sure how they're going to uh, winter this this year. It's a big question, yes. isn't it? Yes. So uh, 
currently at this very moment, I'm working on a winter clothes drive. And at this time, I'm not asking for any more winter clothes because uh, the um, the help we got from the community is overwhelming. Okay. And I'm so grateful. And everyone, everybody who hears me and helped me, thank you so much. Wow. So at this time, we just need money to ship that clothes to Ukraine. Okay. And uh, I'll talk about that separately. But um, we're trying to make it, um, make sure that the clothes reaches Ukraine in September, uh, yeah. early October by the latest, um, in time for cold weather. Right, because that's when the weather yes. really turns there, isn't yes. it? Yes. Okay. So that's one of my teams who are uh, who is focused on Baradyanka. Okay. And then uh, there's uh, refugees into Kiev who come from uh, active war zones. And mm-hmm. um, just today they messaged me. Somebody came and asked for a blanket for their baby. Uh, you know, people just uh, ask for most basic random things. And we need we, we try to raise enough funds to be able to provide for those basic needs. Okay. Okay. And um, my other channel is uh, near Odessa. Okay. And my, my friend, who's now my friend, Rita. <laughs> and uh, with her help, we, uh, we help um, um, families and children. And that's our biggest focus. And because she's there and she knows uh, the family, she knows people. And now um, that uh, people start talking about what we're doing, people come to her and, um, and ask for things. So... Um, for example, there's a uh, um, two families from Nikolaev, and Nikolaev is constantly being bombed. Yeah. Um, actually, um, Russians destroyed the water processing plant in Nikolaev, so a million uh, population, a, town, a city of a million has no drinking water. Mm. All the water is being imported by trucks in mm. a little gallons, uh, wow. and um, the summer is very, very hot. So you'll see. Um, thousands of people just waiting in line for drinking water. Okay. Uh, old people and uh, people with little kids standing in um, 90 degree weather waiting for drinking water. Mm. So, yeah, two families from Nikolaev. Um, that's one of our recent families that we helped. Um, they needed clothes, you know, okay. and money for groceries, like basic things. Wow. These uh, are these are really powerful. Let's let's pause real yes. quick, take a deep breath. I want to hear more about this, and I also want to make sure you have an opportunity to tell everybody how they can help. Great. So let's take another quick break, and when we come back, we'll hit that. Um, the last part of this show is all about you. We'll be right back. Thank you. I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor this show is all about you because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents. Don't ask me to talk. Don't ask me to talk is a program about sharing something good. Hosted by me, Stacy Heller, with my co-host and my mom's favorite, Eric Ryder. Don't ask me to talk echoes what we're talking about when we aren't being so serious. We'll highlight what's good to watch, read, see, listen to, and more with a reoccurring spot with Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen called What Are We Eating? Tune in Thursdays from 3 to 4 on AM 880 KIXI. 
Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you here with uh, Tanya Zeka, who is uh, working to uh, to help Ukrainians uh, in Ukraine uh, with the uh, working through the Ukrainian Association of Washington State. And she's been uh, telling us some uh, some amazing stories, heartbreaking stories, but also some really inspiring um, actions uh, being taken by her and many others like her uh, to help the Ukrainian people who are suffering. And uh, in the First of all, I already knew once we were about halfway through this episode, Tanya, that we weren't going to have enough time to talk about everything we wanted to talk about. So um, I'm I'm inviting you to come back next week would, uh, to talk more about this. Would you be willing to do that? I would love to. I didn't know one hour can go by so fast. It goes by very fast. It does. So, And I know there's more you'd like to talk about. So, um, so let's just go ahead and plan for that for next week. But I know in the short amount of time left... There is one subject in particular you would like to talk about that you that you work on that you'd like people to know about. Yes, I would like to highlight a very very special project that uh, Ukrainian Association is working on. It's uh, neonatal units. Uh, I call them incubators sure. for the uh, brand new babies. So a huge huge problem that's happening. One of thousands of problems that's happening uh, in the time of war is pregnant women under stress. They go into labor a lot earlier than mm-hmm. uh, than when they're supposed to. So we have, and as we talked about um, children being stolen into Russia, right. ch- children being killed in their beds at night in shopping malls on their playgrounds, um, um, we want to make sure we can support and save every as many children as we can, mm-hmm. including the precious new ones that are coming into this world under these unfortunate conditions. And they're coming too early to sustain, uh, to be able to survive on their own. Right. And statistically, uh, 50% of the deliveries right now are premature births. Wow. Yes. So uh, one of our big projects, big dreams, is to be able to supply birthing centers in Ukraine with neonatal units, um, these incubators Mm -hmm. that would allow um, premature babies to survive. And there's certain specifics because there's always a risk to be uh, bombed. Mm -hmm. So we're looking uh, to buy and supply units that are mobile. Okay. Because so many births are taking place underground sure. right now. Sure. So, um, and you'll find more information about this big special project for us uh, on our website. Okay. And if you'd like to help us achieve our goals, uh, we uh, would be so grateful for donations. What is the website? The website is uh, uaws.org. So it stands for Ukrainian Association of Washington State. Okay. Uaws.org. Okay, and is and if when people go there, can they? Is it something that it takes money to donate for that, or are people are you looking for the units themselves, or do you know where to buy them? What? There's many ways to help. So, um, if you go to the website and uh, click on support, uh, support Ukraine, in the drop down menu, you'll see my name, mm-hmm. Help Children of Ukraine with Tanya Zaika. So, uh, monetary monetary donations can go there, um, and. On the website, you will also see an ICU tab. Okay. And that stands for na- na- neonatal units. Mm-hmm. And on that tab, you'll see information about the project, uh, links from uh, Ministry of Health of Ukraine, links from uh, major news uh, sources of the United States about our projects and what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're looking for financial help. We're looking for money. But there's also a list of 
um, un- actual units and okay. medical supplies. Okay. That if somebody has connections to hospitals or makers of such units or makers of medical supplies who can help us get those donations, that will also be greatly appreciated. Wow. Okay. So there's a lot of different avenues that yes. people people can do. Wow. So it's not just money, it's also time, it's talents, it's connections. Connections. As it so often is. Yes. Right, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, but not winter clothes because you have enough winter clothes. That's uh, that sounds amazing, right? We're, we we spend so much time like when and when these things, these big crises happening, there's almost this assumption that there's never going to be enough of something. So to hear that there's enough winter clothes for, for what you're working on right now is something. So with winter clothes, it's just me. One person. That's amazing. One person collecting them and packaging them and driving them to the shipping location. So it's just me. So when I say uh, enough for now, it's just um, I have a lot in my my garage. I can't even uh, get into it. Yes, it's all in my garage. (laughs) And uh, I'm processing and packing every single day, and I need uh, finances to ship ship them. Gotcha. So it's uh, financially, um, it makes a lot of sense to ship donated clothes because we get them here for free. Okay. And it, it only costs like $30 to ship okay. a box of clothing. Okay. That's what I was wondering. Yes. So, it's, so about a $30 donation would cover one box. One box. Yes. Okay. And I, I will have like 100 boxes after I'm done. Wow. So it's a lot of work. Uh, a lot of time, but I know how much it is needed yeah. and appreciated. And it is urgent. You know, it is urgent. It is and urgent. I also want to stress, I know exactly where it's going. So when you're working with um, large organizations, sometimes you don't know where it's going. Sure. And I know exactly where it's going. I get pictures of people receiving our help. Mm-hmm. And I know their names. And I know, uh, and they send me notes okay. and uh, of gratitude. So mm-hmm. it really brings that energy and that um, excitement to want to do more. Yeah. Yeah, I can tell. I can tell it's something that's very, very important to you, and, and the energy you have about it is really inspiring me. So you can count me in for a box. All at right. At least one. So Thank I'll be you. happy to help with that. And I would really encourage all of you to to visit, uh, again, the website is... The website is uaws.org. Yeah, and you can find all that information there and find different ways that you can help out. And I think it's particularly powerful that these are people that are still in country. Yes, they're helping. And, you know, I was just realizing so much of the attention that we see is, of course, people coming across the borders where news cameras can see them more readily. But really, the the, the need inside the country is is still very dire. Yes. Yeah. And um, I would say a lot more so than for people who are here. Sure. Sure. Because, of course, they're under fire yes. uh, every day. Okay. So. Uh, I'm sure, Tanya, you have many more stories. I do. I, I want to hear them, and that's why you're going to come back next week because I want to hear more about them. I also would uh, be very interested in talking with you more about the different ways that people can continue to keep this news more up on pe- in people's attention and the things that people can do, not just to help uh, Ukraine, but also to put pressure on Russia. I know that is something that is important to you as well. And uh, there's a lot to there's a lot to talk about. I know there is a march coming up. In yes. Seattle. Thank you for bringing that yes, up. Yes. Give people that really quick. We only got a couple minutes. So um, if you go on Facebook and mm-hmm. find Ukrainian Association of Washington State and like that page, mm-hmm. uh, you'll see all the news that we're doing here in the community. Yeah. And there is a march coming up on July 30th. Mm-hmm. And the march uh, will call for um, United States 
to recognize Russia as a terrorist state. Mm -hmm. And that will really help to put new sanctions on Russia. And the march is in Seattle. March is in Seattle. It will start at 1030 in the morning on July 30th. And it will start from it. It will be from City Hall in Seattle, and will march down to Space Needle. Okay. But if you go to our page on Facebook, uh, all the information is there. We would love for you to join. Sounds good. Well, and I also later uh, in the week, everyone, I will be posting links to all of this that Tanya has mentioned on my website, wordsbyjdk.com, so you can see more about that there. And of course, uh, now you know that Tanya is going to come back next week to talk more about some of these stories, and we'll kind of take a broader look, but also hear more about these specific stories as a way to. Help people really understand that this is every, everyday lives of people just like ours, just in a, in a terrible situation that we would not want to find ourselves in. So, Tanya, thank you so much for, for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. We'll see you next week. And thank you to all of you for sticking around for this show is all about you. Uh, make sure you check out wordsbyjdk.com. Look me up on social media. And uh, certainly if you missed any of this episode or any others, you can download this as a podcast from wherever you get your podcast. Want to do some thank yous on the way out. This show is all about you. It's produced and distributed by Hubbard Radio Seattle. Eric Ryder is the in-studio producer, editor, and mixmaster. The show is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Airway Science for Kids. You can check them out at airside.org. And the original theme music is by Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media. Special thanks for contributing to this episode and to all that went well for me this week. Has to go to Tanya Zaika. Julia Cannell, Jerry O'Neill, Tawny Dave Santabria, Adriana Wisniewska, Antoinette Bernardo, Stacey Heller, Bruce Farmer, Jenny Butts, Katie Beck, and Eric Crema. Special thanks to budding baseball star Julio Rodriguez for helping me fall in love with baseball again. Thank you so much for everyone who works in the nonprofit sector uh, for all the things that you do for so many areas that have need. And then finally, I'd like to say a heartfelt goodbye to my Aunt Cherise, the poet I talked about a few episodes ago who shared her joy of writing and poetry with me from a young age. She passed away this past week at the age of 93. Thank you, Aunt Cherise, for sharing your heart and your passion for me. I would not be here or who I am without you. And thank you to listeners. Uh, I could not do this for you without you. And finally, as a way to send you off into the rest of your week, I'll end with this original haiku. Our short memories deny the long history of our search for peace. Shins up, everyone.